This episode is an interesting one because it speaks to a uniquely challenging topic. Now, we've been talking about hard situations that people have navigated and how they've gotten through them. We've explored different resources that God has made available to us, including spiritual support and counseling. What happens, though, when the thing that was meant to heal you actually causes more harm? That's the question that Amy brings to the table. In the midst of a hard season, she sought the care of a Christian counselor in her church and ended up experiencing one of the hardest traumas of her life. What do you do with a situation like that when you expected healing and you actually found hurt instead? I really love this conversation with Amy, particularly because Amy came out of nowhere, it seemed. When I asked Amy how she heard about the podcast, she said that she saw it on Facebook but couldn't remember where. What's more, you'll hear in this episode that Amy doesn't necessarily want to put herself out there on podcasts. And yet here we are, two strangers connected in an unexpected way, diving into something that we might not have wanted to talk about, but God had abundantly more in store. Just a heads up that this conversation can get into some challenging areas for some, and I know it shook some stuff up for me personally, but I do believe that God is at work on something really beautiful here, if we're willing to listen. You're listening to episode 78 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you for unexpected and random connections um, that you have brought us to a place now where two people that have never met and never would have met can actually sit down virtually and have a conversation. And so I thank you for that specifically because you know more than we know and you know what it is you want to do in this conversation in the midst of it and through it. And so we just give it to you. We just thank you for the privilege of being able to represent you in this space, to be able to learn more about you in this time and to share you with others in this time. But we want you to guide our words, um, protect us from our own goals and thoughts, um, give us boldness to trust your ways. And in all this, we just pray that you're glorified. Let's pray in his holy name. Amen. Amen. I'm excited to meet you, Amy, because we've never met before, never talked before. And a lot of this came together pretty quickly. Even as of last night, we didn't have this scheduled. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm always intrigued by what God might do when something unexpected like this comes about. I know only a little bit about you and your story, but I really feel like there's a lot that you can share in this realm of exploring healing. But before we do, one of the things that I'm doing lately, and I never know when I'm going to have to just call it and stop doing it, is I want to provide a way for guests to share briefly about themselves, but I want to have fun with it. And so I've been trying to come up with random prompts for how it will work. But the key is, is I don't prepare ahead of time and I'm challenging myself to get creative in the moment. And as I started to pray, I was like, oh gosh, I have no idea what it's going to be, but here's what just popped in my head. Okay. They have just made a new Netflix show about you. Okay. Netflix has been putting out all this content. Now they have a new Netflix show about you and I'm scrolling through and it's got Amy is the title. <laughs> and then under it is the short description. So what does that description say? What is Amy about? Ooh, that's good. I would have to say right now in my life, author, speaker, and advocate for those abused by therapists or clergy. Wow. In parentheses, mother of three, married, mom of four dogs. 
Nice. <laughs> but that's really, that's really my passion right now. That's what I feel like God's calling me yeah. to be and to do. Yeah. I mean, out the gate, that's such a hard, hard space because in this season, we've talked with a lot of people who have experienced hardships and traumas and disabilities. And a lot of times where those conversations land is how spiritual leaders, how counselors, how professionals in that realm can be one of the ways to find healing through that. What you bring to the table is a bit of a challenge because what do you do when those normal spots of safe healing actually end up being the opposite? Yeah. Maybe you could just start sharing you know, this is where you are now, where you are walking with people through that. But there was a starting point to that that led to this yes. journey. So tell me a bit of that journey. Well, around 2010, my youngest sister passed away and I hit a real low in my life. And in 2012, I started attending Celebrate Recovery. It's a like a 12-step group for it's just life's hurts, habits, and hangups. And in that group, I did a real in-depth book study. And that is where I really feel like my faith came alive for me and where I really encountered Jesus for the first time and just really became on fire for God. I almost feel like that's where my life started, hmm. 2012 and 13. That's kind of when my life went from black and white to color. So the changes started in me then. Unfortunately, I started seeing a counselor in 2013 and he was an elder at my church and came highly recommended. And I thought that was part of this new journey, you know, that God had me on towards healing that made me extra vulnerable and started seeing him. And about a year in, I realized that I was maybe in trouble, but I was so attached and I felt too guilty to leave. And I felt responsible for him and I felt I owed him. And Sadly, it led to a sexual assault and, you know, he had been a father figure. He told me he was representing Christ in my life and, and it was the most devastating, the biggest trauma I've ever experienced in my life. You know, the first person I told didn't want to deal with it, didn't just didn't want to deal with it. But I eventually went to my pastor and he believed me and they helped me get, he and his wife helped me get out. And at that point, my goal was just to try to survive and to never tell anyone. I thought, no one's going to believe me. I'm going to be blamed. I'm going to be judged. You know, my husband won't understand. I don't even understand. I didn't know that intelligent people could be duped and manipulated in such a way. It was just so embarrassing. It was so shameful. What kind of felt like the end of my life, I feel like it is kind of another beginning of my life as far as God is concerned, because he used that to strengthen my faith, to bring us closer, and to kind of rebuild my life from shambles into something that was even more beautiful that I never even dreamed I could have, a closer marriage, a stronger family, healing for myself. So that's what brought me to the author, speaker, advocate title. And, you know, when I wrote that book, I didn't, I was not planning on sharing it. I mean, mm -hmm. I wrote it because I just liked to write and I needed to understand what on earth happened? Like, how did this happen? How did I allow this? Why didn't I leave sooner? Why couldn't I get out and kind of wrote it for myself? Because honestly, I didn't think I'd ever forgive myself. I just thought it was unforgivable. I mean, yes, he tricked me and manipulated me, but I still stayed there as long as I did. So in writing this book, it helped me to see what happened and helped me to heal myself. At the same time, I was just filled with self-hatred and shame. And I started writing love letters to myself from God. Mm. It was in the form of poetry, but 
they just poured out of me and I know it was the Holy Spirit helping me write them. And I just spoke God's truth and God's love for me into myself until I finally started to believe it. And so that's kind of part of the book too, the healing. When I got to a certain point, I thought, you know, other adult victims deserve to know that they're not alone because I thought I was the only one on the planet like that this ever happened to. I didn't even know therapist abuse was a thing. So then I started writing the book for, you know, other victims so that they knew they weren't alone and they knew there was hope and they knew it didn't make them a failure. But then the book, you know, it was, I wrote it over off and on over a period of about seven years. I feel like it took that long because it took me that long to get enough healing to where I could really write a book that glorified God, mm-hmm. you know, cause you start out and you're angry And I needed to have enough healing that I could step back enough and look at it from a different point of view. And so I feel like it turned into a beautiful testament of God's love and forgiveness and grace. And so, yeah, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. It evolved over the years and turned into something really amazing. Yeah. It's cool because your podcast, it just, it struck me because it's, um, where do you see God? And the coolest thing happened in this process. I got out of this abuse. It was, I think, summer 2014. And I had a pre-planned trip to Canada with a friend that, you know, and I didn't even know how I was going to pack and how I was going to make it there, but I made it there. Could barely eat, could barely sleep, just kind of in survival mode, kind of in shock, thinking my life was pretty much over and just glad for this little reprieve I had before I had to come back and, you know, hadn't told my husband or my family or anybody wasn't going to tell a soul on the planet, you know, besides my pastor who I told just to help me get out. So I'm there and I mean, I don't even want to get out of bed the next morning, but my friend got us invited to a church picnic and I thought I'm going only because there's free food Mm -hmm. because I'm depressed and I don't want to cook. So we went to this picnic and when we got there, I started seeing a lot of Buddhist symbols and things. And I thought, oh gosh, what kind of thing is this? And just started feeling uncomfortable. And as a newer believer, I just, you know, wasn't comfortable with that. And so I prayed people were starting to gather and I didn't even want to participate really, but I said, God, please send me a Christian that I can talk to here. Just, just a Christian Mm -hmm. because my friend, you know, faith wasn't something that we really shared. So I felt kind of alone. So I walked towards the crowd because it was time and everybody had mingled and it was all older people I noticed. And this one young girl pokes her head out of the crowd And I thought, oh, one young person. And there was a smoke from the grill and I have asthma. I thought, oh my gosh, the smoke's going to kill me if this mingling doesn't kill me. Mm -hmm. And she pops her head out and she says, hi, I'm Michelle. And this smoke's really killing my asthma. Do you want to step over here and talk? And I was like, that's just what I was thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, sure. So we kind of walked away towards the edge of the forest and turned around and faced each other. And it was just kind of like, hi, hi, I'm how old are you? know, you, you look young. How old are you? Oh, we were the same age. Oh, I get told I look young too. It was one of those situations. And that was cool enough. I was just so pleased with that. And then I said, I said, I hate to be rude, but like, is this like a Christian group or what is this kind of thing? And she said, yeah, they are, but they do kind of a meditation thing. And she said, um, I said, well, I'm just kind of sensitive because I'm a new believer. And she said, I'm a new believer. And I was like, really? And I was like, in Jesus, because I was like so shocked. And she's like, yeah, in Jesus. And we had similar experiences of becoming a believer. And then she says, I've been going through a really hard time lately. I just got out of an abusive relationship with a therapist. Mm. And I said, I mean, I just got like full body chills. And I said, I also just got away from an abusive therapist like a week ago, like it just happened. And So we kept talking and it was just crazy. It was the coolest encounter, but it gets better. 
I said, as a new believer, I, I experienced God in nature more. It's like I didn't even see nature before. And now I really notice it. She said, me too. And I take pictures and uh, write poetry. And I, you know, I do too. And I make, a, I make photo books. And she said, ever since she became a believer, God has shown her pictures of hearts and she photographs them. And I was like, that's so cool. I want to see those too. So the next day she took us to a beach just to show us around. And she showed me like, this is the first heart that God ever showed me. And I literally said, no fair. I want to see one. And then God just started showering me and I'm a photographer. Mm. I mean, I must've taken pictures of hundreds and thousands of hearts. I mean, I'm talking some amazing, like in the clouds, one of them was in the waves. I have them framed all over my house. It was the coolest, most amazing three days of my life. And it was the lowest in my life I'd ever been. And it just felt like it was God and I on this mm. like magical treasure hunt. And so when I saw your podcast, I thought that's become a thing between God and I ever since that is how I see him. I thought it was just going to be just that time period, you know, in Canada, that it was just a special thing then. And I was, when I was on the ferry, literally leaving, I saw a heart in the trees and I said, you're coming with me. And God was like, did you think I only lived in Canada? And I was like, well, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> mm -hmm. maybe, I don't know. And I just didn't think I'd ever experience him in such a magnificent way ever again. And so I came back home and yeah, it's been our thing ever since it's, I mean, and it's silly things in the, in the laundry and the, in the dish. soap. you know, I just, and my kids got in on it and I'd hear mom and I'd be like, what? They're like, there's a heart shape in my chicken, you know, or whatever. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, I take pictures. So that's kind of, that has been one of the coolest experiences of my life and is still a special thing that I share. Yeah. Well, what's so beautiful about that is it, you know, you even said it, it in a way, it really is a simple thing that somebody who just heard it out of context would be like, oh, you saw a heart, how is that God? But what God can do with such a simple thing, how he can make simply seeing the shape of a heart become this profound realization of his love and his presence. I think it really does show the abundance of God in a really powerful way. And so, you know, you have this experience that brings this depth, this renewal, this context to who God is and your relationship with him. I imagine that during that year where you had a spiritual leader causing abuse, had that abusive experience impacted your understanding of God? Did it bring in confusion or did it make God feel distant? Or what was your experience of God when you were in the midst of that really hard season? It's a good question because you would have thought it would have destroyed my faith. But I think because I had spent most of my life angry with God, wondering where he was, thinking he was distant, thinking he couldn't answer prayer. We could pray, but we wouldn't hear an answer till heaven. I spent 40 plus years of my life angry and away from him. And when I encountered him in such an amazing way in 2012, 2013, and I realized he could answer prayer. He could talk to me. He was with me now. He could comfort me now. It was so amazing and so awesome to me that when this happened, it didn't phase me at all as far as my faith. And I know that's hard to believe, even it's hard to believe for me, but he was there the whole time. You know, he was calling for me to get out and, you know, showing me 
like the word adultery. And I was like, but I'm not, com I'm not committing adultery. I, neither of us are, but God knew that was what was coming. And that was one way he, he knew that if I thought I was doing that, that I would not be okay with it. So it started with that. He'd show it to me in the Bible. If that didn't work, I had a friend who randomly, I know it was the Holy Spirit, loaned me a book and I started reading it. Okay. I literally was like, okay, no more Old Testament because I keep reading adultery. And that's not what I was doing. So it didn't apply to me really. And I told God, I'm going to fix it. Like when the doctor realizes he's hurting me, he's going to, he's going to stop and it's going to be fine and I'll fix it. So then I just read the New Testament and then I was like, are you kidding? There's adultery in the New Testament. So then I stopped reading my Bible. Then I got this book from a friend and it had adultery in the first chapter. And I said, okay, no more reading until I get this all straightened out. But I was confused. It wasn't just that I was ignoring God. I thought God had given me this therapist as a blessing. So I had spent the first year thanking God for this gift. I was really confused if it was God telling me to get out or Satan trying to take away something that was good. Mm. So my prayer was not just, I know it's bad, God, give me time. It was, but you sent me this and it's good. So is this your voice or is this Satan's voice? Are you telling me to get out or is Satan trying to take away yet another good thing in my life and, you know, crush me, you know, towards the very end when I realized this is bad and I need to get out. I don't know how, but I need to leave. I was praying to God over and over. Like I, the reason I was so confused is I thought like, but this isn't really a bad thing. Like this is, it's hard to explain, but like nothing really like bad had happened. It's just God knew where it was headed. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was headed in a bad direction, but I didn't think anything was wrong yet. And so I kept praying. God knew that I was conflicted over that one piece because if this is not moral, I'm going to get out. Mm -hmm. So I was at an event and that had been my prayer for weeks. And a friend in response to something else, she said, it doesn't matter if something is moral or not. If it's messing with your relationship with God in any way, it's wrong. And I knew that was my answer. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wrote that down and I got the chills and I said, okay, God, I, I hear you. I understand because it's messing with my relationship because I can't even read my Bible now. The very last straw, I was just praying just day and night, just agonizing. And God said, Amy, and he used my first name, which he does when I'm not listening, <laughs> which is frequently because my head just was racing. And he said, Amy, the doctor is not your problem to fix. And that was it. And I literally said, okay, I texted my pastor's wife and I drove to their house and I told, so God was there the whole time. And, you know, just shouting to me, calling for me, rooting for me, trying to help me. So, yeah, I, I didn't. It, that didn't happen for me. And I think it's because I spent so many years away from him. I was not going to turn away again. Yeah. There was so much darkness in the first part of my life that didn't involve him, that there was no way I'd ever go back. Yeah. No way. You know, and that was all God's timing because that was something that would have destroyed me forever. Mm -hmm. Had I not had that awakening, you know, and that experience and that time with him prior to this, I don't think I could have withstood this. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't have it would have not been something I could recover from. So again, I think that was all in his timing that I could withstand this. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of this so far, because I mean, these are hard things to talk about. And I know God's taken you on a journey to the point where you've now been able to not just write it into a book, but all right, now I'm going to let people read it. Like that's, yeah. that was a journey even to get to that point. But I'm sure even moments like this to share still can bring things with it. So I appreciate your vulnerability and your willingness. And there's so much that's important what you're sharing that 
applies even beyond abuse by someone that should be trusted. So one of the reasons I asked the question is because it brought to mind a conversation I had with someone who identifies as an atheist on his podcast. It was a podcast called The Bible Says What? And he sets it up as an atheist versus Christian podcast. And he knows his scripture. (laughs) He knows it very well. And he will put it out to spiritual leaders and say, well, you say that God is good, but let me read this passage where he allows children to be killed. And you tell me why your God's good. And, and it ended up being a really great conversation, but I could kind of hear his voice as you were sharing of, I could see him saying, where was God when you were being abused by someone from the church? Why did God just sit there and watch it happen? You know, how can you say God is good? And, and so I really appreciate your answer because you even named it at the start. It's hard to explain. (laughs) And that can sound to someone like a dismissive thing, but what you just shared was not a dismissive statement. You can't answer those questions of why this and why that. But what you do know is you can recognize that God had never abandoned you from the start. I also love you bring in the piece of because God gives us the freedom to live our lives and to be able to choose and to make decisions that he could have forced his hand but it was actually an act of love of his to, to not. And how heartbreaking that must have been for him in the moments where he's like, look, I'm showing you scripture. Like, and yet how loving he is that he never said, well, forget it. I've tried five, 10 times, five months, a year. And that's right. There's so much that's displayed in his love. And it is so hard to explain or prove, but it's beautiful nonetheless. The other thing that really stood out to me is you're tapping into things that I've heard some other guests tap into. You know, we as people really love to do broad sweeps to like package something together and then make our assessments of it. So somebody could look at a very short version of your story and ask the questions that you imagined others asking you, why didn't you get out sooner? Why didn't you do this, that, or the other? And I tried to jot down, you know, some of the things that you said, but you were, you know, afraid of being attacked. You had been told that he was representing Christ to you. You were fearful, feeling guilty. You were blaming yourself. You know, what's your husband going to think? What's your friends going to think? Like, that's a lot. Like somebody can look and say, well, you should have just known, but that's just not how the human mind works. At any given point, we have whatever knowledge we have. And then we have all these other influences, both real and perceived. And somehow we have to find a way to navigate through that, which is hard in everyday life. But in a traumatic situation where those things can become intensified and reality can become very skewed and our sense of self and identity can be diminished, finding any way to navigate through that is very difficult. And perhaps that's also like you described a picture of God's presence in the midst as well, because you named it like had this happened at another time of your life, who knows (laughs) Who knows what would have happened. So I just appreciate you sharing that because I feel like there are a lot of people that are navigating this. So a question it brings me to is you're going through your healing, you're, you're finding ways to navigate through the memories and trying to understand them. And you decide to start writing. There's actually an episode I just released with my friend, Troy, where we talk about the power of like just sitting down and writing, (laughs) like what's going on, getting it out of our heads, but you never intended to tell anyone. You never intended to show it to anyone. How is it that God brought you from that point of, I don't want to put this out there to, all right, here's a book <laughs> world, <laughs> Amazon list it for me. Oh like, my gosh. Tell it, me a little it, more about that. 
it took many years of writing and then walking away, writing and walking away. And there was a point where there were many points where I said, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm an introvert. There was a time where I had told God, you know, I, I, I'm done for real. I'm done. I, I don't want to do it. Hopefully this wasn't your idea. Maybe it was just my dumb idea anyway. And so let's just be done with the whole thing. I was at church and afterwards, and I was in the front praying and somebody came up behind me and tapped me on the shoulder. And she said, I hope this, this might be a little weird because you don't know me, but I just wanted you to know that the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you that God sees what you're doing and he's proud of you and that he will give you what you need line by line. Mm. And I was just like, oh. I mean, I was like, part of me was excited and part of me was like, oh no. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, I just told God that I, I'm not going to write my book and I, I, I'm an author and I, I, I couldn't even believe it. And she said, yeah, I'm an author too. And she said, and, and I will tell you that God won't ask you to write a book that he won't help you finish. And I just couldn't believe it. And I thought, okay, well, looks like we're writing a book. And mm. um, so he would give me nudges. That's a strong nudge. He would send somebody into my life right at the right moment. For example, when I was in the early stages of writing, this is my first book. And yes, I have a knack for writing, but that doesn't mean that I know all the ends of the craft. And he sent a friend into my life who happened to be an editor. You know, this wasn't a book that I could share with just anybody. You know, it was so personal, mm -hmm. especially in the beginning when not a lot had been cut out. So, you know, he kept the process moving and she would edit each chapter as I wrote it. But mainly she would just say, yes, this is so good. You've got to keep going because I don't know that I could have kept going without that little nudge of encouragement, because you know, when you, everything you write yourself, you assume isn't very good, or you don't know what the impact is until somebody else reads it. So he just gave me everything I needed in the process. And so I've never not been afraid, but he's just given me the courage and the strength to do just the next step. Just like you were saying, like Amazon, it would be like, well, I'm not going to even think about that yet. I'm just going to work on the editing, you know, or I'll deal with that when I get there. And, you know, being an introvert, I thought I can't go on podcasts and mm -hmm. do interviews. Like that's just not who I am. And I thought, don't worry about that right now. You just have to get the book on Amazon. And so that's kind of how it's been the whole process and yeah. taking it in little bits. Yeah. You know, somebody could hear your story and have the gut response of, well, I mean, she must never be able to trust counselors or therapists or spiritual leaders again, because how can you when, when they can take advantage of you? And there's other people who have been taking, so how can we trust? And your story already shows an example of you still understanding how God can use spiritual leaders because it was your pastor and his wife who helped you to kind of get out of that situation. But what would you say to somebody who tried to put themselves out there to someone that was supposed to care for them and experienced a negative or abusive situation? What would you say to them in regards to like the capacity to ever trust someone again? Yeah. So I was kind of the example of, I was abused early, very early in my life. And then, and I had very low self-esteem and then it was almost like I had a target on my back and I was taken advantage of multiple times. In fact, I think this doctor as an adult made number seven. Mm. So I spent my life angry, shut off and lonely after I encountered Jesus and started to, and this was around 2012, 2013 and started to open up and started to trust. It was the most amazing thing ever that I, I would never want to go back. Mm. And so even though this experience with the doctor was the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced. It was the hugest betrayal I have ever experienced. Mm -hmm. 
and I was angry and I didn't want to forgive, but I didn't want to return to that lonely, angry, shut off way of life. And so it started with, okay, I know I'm going to have to forgive and I don't, how am I going to say I forgive this abuser when I really don't? Mm -hmm. So God even helped me with that. I was at, at an event and I heard someone speak on how they were sexually abused and how they were struggling to forgive. And she said that God told her that he wanted her to pray for her abuser's salvation. And I thought, okay, I know that's for me. So I said, well, God, I'll pray for his salvation, but I don't want him to go to heaven. And you're going to know that. So what's the point in praying, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't lie. So I cannot pray something I don't mean. And so I wrestled with that for a while. And then I finally thought, you know, God doesn't make evil sociopaths. He doesn't make sexual predators. Everything he designs is perfect and, and good and beautiful. So I thought, if God restored him to the person that he made him to be, then I, I might be okay with seeing that person in heaven. So I started praying that God would restore him to the person that he made and that if it was God's will that he, you know, go to heaven. And that is how I was able to forgive. And then I'm, and I'm getting to the answer to your question. <laughs> so after I was able to kind of get past that step in my book, I list these rules that I had been living by that kept me angry and alone, you know, mm -hmm low self-esteem, lies, you know, that I was believing about myself. And as I began to heal, God was giving me a new set of rules. And one of those rules was bitterness and unforgiveness and healing cannot coexist. And I knew with everything in my being that I could not go back to that lonely way of living. Hmm. I think another one is don't let the abuse by one person or 10 people send you back to that lonely dungeon. And I think I had been there long enough and I had suffered long enough that it just wasn't an option to go back. So that is why I continue to trust because the alternative is just not any way to live. Mm -hmm. And I did find another therapist eventually after this one. And it was really good for a year. And then I had a civil suit going on and she got a request for my medical records and just flipped out and just started screaming at me and threatening me that she doesn't do legal work and they're going to call her into court and this is all my fault and I better fix it. And I was just devastated. I, I just didn't understand it. And I thought, after all I've gone through, you have to fill out a form mm. and you're this angry. And I got up and left. And so I guess I say that because... Even with the first abuse and even with that, it didn't mean that all therapists are evil. I eventually found a really kind Christian man and, and he helped me through a lot. And so I've experienced both. And that's the only reason I can say I choose this one. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I, yeah. I choose to forgive and I choose not to harbor the anger because it's just too miserable of a way to live. Yeah. And Satan would love nothing more for us to do that and keep us in that dark, lonely, empty place. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not going to give him that power anymore. Yeah. So yeah, it's not easy. I didn't want to, but it just was something that had to be done to live a life that was happy and whole. Yeah. A lot of people have difficulty with the idea of forgiveness because they've kind of swept it into this idea of letting go and pretending like the things never happened or turning yourself into a doormat just to get hurt again. And that's not forgiveness. Now, somebody can try to practice forgiveness and fall into spaces where those things can happen. But what you're talking about is something different because you're actually looking towards a destination far beyond that specific incidence. Put another way, what you recognized is regardless of what happens moving forward, I now know that I can operate in this space of being imprisoned by bitterness and fear and anger 
or I can operate in this space of, like the Apostle Paul said, knowing what it means to be content in all situations. And I would rather live in the latter than the former. Yeah. But I can't get to this one unless I forgive. Yeah. <laughs> and so forgiveness is now not the, oh, like you get a pass, everything's fine, nothing happened. Let's just pretend like everything's great. Like that's not what forgiveness is. It is that it is a step that we either take or don't take right. to then determine where we are going to land. I still feel hurt in general by the church. But again, I know there's just evil people within every, yeah. you know, there's evil people and good people in all situations. Is it still hard for me? Do I still have kind of a fear of the idea of church? Yes. It's not that it goes away. It's just that I choose to operate knowing, yeah. you know, there's good and bad no matter what. So it's not as rosy as maybe I'm making it sound. It's not as easy as I'm making it sound, yeah. but it's just like you said, it's just a choice like Apostle Paul made to refuse to give Satan that power over you to, you know, to refuse to stay in darkness. Yeah. This is actually something that came up in another conversation, this idea of trauma and grief that we want to believe it can just go away. And so we make it the goal to eliminate all pain and discomfort and bad memories. But that's just not how grief and trauma work. It, as long as we're in these human bodies with these human minds, there can be moments where that button is hit and we remember the pain. Yes. And so as long as our goal is to eliminate that, then yeah, we are going to struggle with forgiveness because we will decide that forgiveness eliminates the pain and the issues. You know, I think rather it's we're, we're making a decision not to eliminate it, but to decide how much power it has over us, how much control it has over us. And you can experience and remember and feel pain. But the more we grow in this, the more we heal in this, the more we can recognize moments in our life where that did have control over us and moments when it didn't. It could still knock us down and make us feel just horrible. But I can think of times in my life where the trauma that I was experiencing did control my thoughts and my outlook on life and my actions and my goals. And now I can look back on the other end of experiencing things and be able to say, Yep, that word that that person said just triggered all kinds of thoughts, but it no longer shapes my understanding of God or myself. And sometimes I still have to do some work and remind myself, yeah. but right, like it's, it's that control piece. What are we giving control to? It's funny that you say triggers because I was just going to bring up that, well, it could happen anytime, you know, maybe a car would trigger me or a person or a church. And I would think, oh, great. I'm still at basically at step one. I haven't gotten over it. I haven't yeah. forgiven clearly because I'm upset and I'm having all these emotions. And I went to my, I still, I don't see my therapist now, but I went to the more recent therapist. He said, no, those are just triggers. Mm -hmm. Those aren't setbacks. Those are just triggers. And that just happens naturally. That's how your brain works. And so it made me feel so much better that I'm not back at step one. You know, I'm still, yeah. you know, at the same place it's, and I just have to recognize it and process it and let it go. And then it's gone again. It, and that'll happen forever. Yeah. And so it's just like you said, you have to go, okay, wait, no, you know, yeah. this is just my emotions getting flared up. I'm not still in this. And to push that even further, you're not weak or less of a person because yeah. those things happen. You're simply a person. That's what I thought too. Right. I was like, I'm totally a failure. Mm -hmm. Like it's been seven years. And I'm still feeling, and I'm now I'm feeling angry and I'm feeling sad. And I, now I don't know if I forgave just great. Yeah. And yeah, Satan can jump all over that and bring you right back to, I'm a failure. I can't do this. And oh yeah. Yeah. You have to be really yeah. careful. <laughs> There's three people that have significantly had a damaging role in my life. And 
those moments ended three years ago. And almost a week ago, I was at a fall festival and I saw all three of them in the same room. And like that, I felt what you described, like just came out of nowhere. And I just, just the sight of them, like I, I, felt this heaviness and this, I, I can't even, I don't even know if there's words to describe the emotions I was feeling and there weren't even thoughts going on. It's just this sense that I had around me and it was so hard. And, and I was reflecting on it later and I'm like, the things that we were just saying, it's like, it's been three years and like, this person's not my boss anymore. And this person I don't even interact with anymore. And, but just seeing them like can do, and And that's what I'm learning is how to one, give myself grace for those moments, but two, affirm my identity and value and fight against false ideas I could say about me like, oh, it's because I'm oversensitive or I'm too weak or I haven't worked hard enough at this or, and I think that's what I love about God is his patience with me in that, in the ways that he's met me in that and walked with me through it, but I've had to learn to accept my humanity that we're all striving to be super Christians, like final versions that God would be so proud of, but we've got to get better at accepting our humanity that we're going to be like the apostle Paul and say, not that I've achieved perfection, but I I keep running the race, but I still do what I don't want to do and don't do what I want to do. Like, yeah, we are going to still have moments where something will rightly or wrongly trigger us. We're going to still have moments where we start to go back into these questions and doubts that we had before. Like, wait, did that really happen? Or was that my fault? Like these things will still come out because our broken minds have a really hard time grasping any form of reality, much less the reality that God's inviting us to, which is abundantly more than we could ask or imagine for. In other words, like, it's beyond our comprehension. Yeah. Like we have to live in a space where we're living towards something that doesn't make sense. That's foolishness to man. And yet God walks with us through that. And it's, yeah, there's healing. What would you say to someone that has a story to share and they need that nudge to trust God with their story? Oh, that's good. You mean they feel that God's nudging them to share? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think it's, I think it's good to name that you and I aren't saying you should always say all the things all the time to all the people, right? Like there's a time and a place for what we share and how we share it. And there's also a space where God might invite us to go beyond what we're comfortable with. So we're naming that, but somebody feels that nudge to share something that they haven't wanted to share. It kind of goes back to what I was saying about baby steps because, and I know a lot of writers will say, when you write your first book, write everything, Mm -hmm. everything you need to get out, everything you need to say, because you're going to get a lot of healing through that. And you can cut that out later, you know, and, and then after you do that, you start writing the book for, and I guess I just assumed your answer meant writing. It doesn't have to be writing, but anyway, you can then start writing the story for the reader afterwards. But I think just do the next right thing. Sometimes I'll pray just, you know, sometimes I'll say, God, just show me today what you most want me to accomplish. And with the whole sharing your story, where do you want me to start? What would be the best thing to do today? So it could just be telling one friend because you've never told anyone your story before. It could be writing it. Um, and just don't worry about where it's going to go because what happens is we start imagining God's going to want me to, he's going to want me to go on podcasts and, right. and, and then you, you panic and, you know, and fear kicks in, but you know, you just do, you don't know where God's going to take it. Mm-hmm. I don't, I still don't know where my journey is headed. I'm just doing the next correct step or next, 
what I think he's asking of me. So just start. Yeah, just start and then don't project. Yes. Like it's okay to kind of think ahead, where could this lead? Yeah. But our danger is we will latch onto that and say, well, this means that I'm going to be an acclaimed writer, or this means that I'm going to have my own movie, or this means like... Yeah. That's the other thing is that I've had to tell myself this. It's like, you know, if you you put all this work into something like a book or something or creating a podcast, you know, you want it to be successful, right? And you want it to be all those things. But I've had to tell myself, if God wants me to reach three people, then that is my role. Mm -hmm. Now, I would love to reach thousands, you know, and and everything. But I have to remember that this is God's journey and I'm riding along we don't all get to be famous. We're not all going on Oprah. You just have to feel proud in that, you know, you helped one person. When I first started my website and I did that just because that was the next step that I needed to do if I was going to be an author, I had one young man reach out to me through email and just say, I still can't forgive myself. My uncle took advantage of me. I think he was like, you know, maybe 15. He's like, but I was old. I was like 15 or 16. And I said, you know, yeah. And I was 40 and it is not your fault. I thought, you know what, that is just gift enough that there's just this one person. And so you just have to kind of put it out there and know that God will make it into what he wants it to do. And he will kind of be the tentacles that takes it where he wants it to go. Yeah. It's like a redefining of success that the world says success is numbers. Yes. And what you're saying is success is God doing what God wants to do and us joining in in that. There's a passage that basically says those who are pursuing wealth or whatever, you know, they've received their reward on earth. Those who give up these things, and I could be making up a brand new version, but there's treasures in heaven. I don't know that they're up in heaven. Like you get up there and then suddenly the angels are like, <laughs> you were on Oprah. <laughs> like what we see that is celebrated in heaven are things like there's the hundred sheep and one gets lost and then one's brought back. And it says there's a celebration for that one. Yeah. So God's definition of success is very different than the world's and very different than ours in our head. And I think you're right. The the next best step is sometimes not just the best thing we can do, but sometimes all that we can do, because sometimes we don't know where the journey is going. So how can you plan out your steps if in reality, God's about to take you to the right, right? right. <laughs> take you over this mountain? So we all project where our destination is our destination should be God. And so then it's just step towards him. <laughs> and just stay in prayer, you know, a daily prayer and, and try to listen and try to be open. Because like you said, you think it's plan A, but it might be plan B. You don't know where he's going to lead you. And yeah, in the end of the day, you know, I just want him to be proud of me. Yeah. It's hard. You have to get all that worldly stuff, worldly success out of your head that that isn't really what it's about, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I have two more questions. The first one is someone has just heard your story and they're like, I want to know more. I want to, I want to read this book. How can they find your book? How can they find any other ways to connect with you? Yeah. So the best way would probably be my website. That is www.amynordhughes.com and I'll spell it. It's A-M-Y-N-O-R-D-H-U-E-S as in Sam. So amynordhughes.com. Kind of in the middle of the page, if you scroll down, you can sign up there to follow my blog and then you'll be up with the latest of uh, what's going on. But my ebook is available now on Amazon and wherever ebooks are sold. And then my paperback is available for pre-order on my website and then will in the next few weeks be available on Amazon and at other stores. So I'm going to hopefully soon send out all my email followers like a free chapter one, Mm. you know, of the book just to give them a taste. So, Yeah. yeah. 
That's great. And I've got resources on there for victims and, and a lot of other good stuff on there. Yeah. And then before we go, any final thoughts, anything else in your heart that you just want to share? I kind of wanted to say, get back to this, where was God? Because I think it's the biggest struggle for people in any kind of trauma mm. is that question. And kind of like you were saying with that other podcast, and there was a time after, I don't know how long after I'd gotten away from this abuser and after I'd gotten out and started my healing process, you know, as sick as it sounds, I still had some sort of attachment to him. Like, you know, he had, he had become an idol. He had become like a father figure, like a savior, you know, where Jesus was the actual savior, but I had put this doctor up on a pedestal and I bring this up because I just, it's sort of another example of God's compassion for us. So I know that's hurtful, you know, to God that when I should have just been attached to him, you know, I attached myself to this idol. Right. And I thought that I was, I was moving on and, and that it wasn't an issue anymore, but I had this photo book that I had made and I had given one to my therapist, the doctor, and I'd given one to my close friend and just sort of a journey about stories about, you know, becoming a new believer and photography, stuff like that. I knew God wanted me to get rid of anything that had to do with the doctor, but I thought, well, this photo book, it has all this other good stuff in it though. It just has this mm -hmm. one entry about him and all the rest is good. So I was like, I, I can't, I'm not going to get rid of that. So I put it up on my, on the shelf in my closet. And then I told myself, well, and God, I might need it in case if my civil suit goes to court, I might need that. So I should hang on to it for proof. I kind of forgot about it. And I was reading a children's one a day Bible to my youngest son one night, and it was a story about, and I'm not a Bible scholar, so hopefully I won't butcher it, but it was a story about Achan in the Bible where God wants all the treasure that they have won in battle for him, but Achan keeps just some gold and silver for himself and he buries it under the ground under his tent. So I was in my closet getting dressed for work and I heard God say to me, I, I saw the book and I was like, oh, I still have that book there. I'd kind of forgotten about that photo book. Figured, well, God probably forgot about it too, you know. Mm -hmm. and, um, he said, Amy, this is your treasure. And I was like, oh gosh, I know he's right. I'm still hanging on to, I'm hanging on to something uh, of that experience. And I immediately knew that I needed to take that book and get rid of it. And so, so I took it with me to work and I said, God, it won't come back in the house. And I ripped out the pages that I thought I might need for a lawsuit, brought it to the bank safe deposit box. And then I came home and I burned it. And it was hard for me to burn it because, you know, I was, I, I don't know, there was still some attachment there or an attachment to what could have been or the closeness that I thought it was. But my point is, is that God was even willing to love me and be patient with me as I grieved that loss mm -hmm. that I shouldn't have even had the attachment to in the first place, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It just shows his love and patience for us. I wanted to mention that because, you know, even though I'm not saying that the abuse was my fault. I'm just saying that there was me making someone else or something else an idol and that pained God. And he was even willing to give me time. It took me a while before I could let it go. So I just wanted to share that. I hope that gets through to the listeners because God is just so compassionate with us. You will walk, you will run, dance through the streets, shouting praise to the It is such a challenging and heartbreaking space to have to navigate when you are seeking healing and you're met with harm instead. 
Amy's story is both challenging and inspiring. Challenging because she should have never been harmed by someone who claimed to represent Christ, but inspiring because we get to hear how God was with her and continues to be with her. And maybe you resonate with Amy's experience. Maybe you have sought support from a spiritual leader, a counselor, or a friend and been met with harm instead. Those situations are hard because it can cause you to wrestle with who you can trust, cause you to wrestle with your own identity and sanity and understanding. But God is God and God is good. And that is displayed powerfully in Amy's story, but also could be displayed powerfully in yours. God can actually make a way forward towards healing, even if right now it's hard to see the next best step ahead. I did want to take a moment to press into something we tapped into, which is the pain that can come when you don't feel like you are believed. And I think this resonates with many people who are listening. You have experienced something difficult, but when you try to share it, it's dismissed. Or you're not even sure if you can share it because you don't know if you will be believed. And that is a painfully lonely place to sit. I've been there. I'm still there in some ways. Some of that was even shaken up this week and has been shaken up a lot through this healing series. It's hard to exist in a space where you believe you know what you know, and yet it does not seem like anyone else sees it. It makes me think of Joseph in the Bible and how he was misrepresented or dismissed or misunderstood for so much of his life. His own brothers saw him in such a way that they felt like he deserved death or at least enslavement. As Joseph landed in different places over the years, he tried to operate in a faithful way and yet was continuously misrepresented and not trusted, eventually landing him in prison. Now we know his story does lead him to be second in command under Pharaoh and does lead him to help save tens of thousands of people. But those years had to be lonely for Joseph. What must it have been like for him to sit in that prison and to think, no one believes me. No one sees me. No one remembers me. And in those deepest, darkest moments, there's something that we know on the outside of the story. That he was seen. That God actually did see him the entire time. Joseph eventually realizes this. We find in Genesis 50 verse 19, Joseph saying to his brothers who are ready to enslave themselves to him, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. There's a lot we can hit in that verse, but what I want to hit is that one piece that Joseph could realize at that point that in his darkest, loneliest, hardest moments, God knew, God saw, and God was at work. It's hard. These retroactive platitudes are hard because when we are misrepresented, when we are alone, we don't want to hear that down the road God's going to use it for something else. So this isn't meant to be some wave of the Christian wand to say everything's okay. But yet it does not change the reality that God was present for Joseph. That in the midst of his pain, God was actually accomplishing good. So if you're in that place of loneliness, of misrepresentation, of being neglected or dismissed, I want you to know that I see you. I might not know who you are or know your name, 
but I know the burden that you're carrying because I carry it too. And it is, it is too heavy of a burden. So if you feel like it's too much, you're right. It's not because you're not strong enough. It's not because you're not committed enough. It's not because you're not wise enough. It's because it is too heavy. But there is a God who is actively carrying that burden too, who has taken that yoke upon himself as well. And while it feels like you are carrying all the weight, he is actually carrying more than you realize. And he's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to forsake you. And even if you can't feel him at this moment, it doesn't change the fact that he is actually still there. And like the many years that Joseph may have felt alone, but God was with him, one day you might look back and see that God was God and God was good. But in the meantime, I want to take a moment to pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you are God and you are good. And I confess that I and others don't often believe that because of what we are experiencing, because of the pain, because of the neglect, because of the dismissiveness, because of the misrepresentations. There are so many things that can cause us to feel like things are too bad for you to be present and powerful and good. But we want to choose to believe that you are God and you are good. In the moments that we seek healing and we are harmed, I pray that those listening will come to know you in a new way as healer. In the moments that we feel unseen, I pray that you would help us to know that we are seen, even if it's in a subtle way. But above all, I just pray that you would grow in us the resolve to keep taking the next best step, to keep stepping towards you, knowing that you may be crafting a story that will blow our minds. And even if it's a story that we don't get to hear until we end our eternity, help us to grow in wanting to honor you so much that we're fine with that. Father God, there are a lot of people hurting and we want to know your goodness in the midst. Show us. In my supremous holy name, amen. If you find yourself in that dark space in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming months, and it's hard to believe that God is with you and that God sees you and that God's holding the burden, I want to encourage you to just pray a simple prayer. Just say, God, I'm here. Help me to know you are here too. And then just listen, because I really do believe that he is there with you. So as you pray that, look around and ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash where did you see God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?